Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Matthew chapter 14, 1 through 14. At that time, Herod the Tretrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him on death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John behead, beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in the boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is the word of God. All right. Yeah, you can have a seat. Morning, everybody. Well, my name's Ben. Uh, If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, um, today I, I was looking at this passage originally, and to be honest, I wasn't very excited about it. I wanted to get on to the next ones. We've got, you know, Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000, and Jesus walks on water. And this passage, the first time I looked at it, it was just a little depressing. Um, But God has been showing me something so powerful, something that I believe is going to speak to you in your life, and I believe uh, you'll be impacted by what we see in this passage I think the first couple of times that I read it, I, I actually sort of missed the main point of the passage, and, um, and, and now that I see it, it is, it is affecting my life. God's been teaching me a lot lately about loving people, and basically, it's one of those things that I thought I kind of could check the box on. I thought, I'm, I'm doing pretty good on that. I love people. I don't, I don't feel anger, animosity toward people, but then God started to show me that actually I'm not so great at it, and that um, it's, loving people is not about how you feel. It's, it's actually about, uh, there's actually actions involved in loving people, and, and the way that, that I understand loving people from the scriptures is that um, loving people involves giving yourself away in order to bless them. And so we do this in a lot of different ways. We, we do this in small ways and big ways. We know that this is love, that we, this is how we know love, that Christ gave his life or laid down his life for his friends. So, 
So love is something that, that you do for another person. And so just feeling like you love people isn't, isn't love. That's not what loving, that's not how we're commanded to love people, not just to feel it. If a person, the person that you're relating to doesn't feel loved from you, then you're not loving them well. And so this has so many applications that I was talking to some of our leadership before the service talking about this, that this, this begins to change how you think about even your body language when you talk to people. If, if I'm going through a conversation with someone and I don't have any smile on my face at all, and I look miserable to talk to them, then whether or not I feel love in my heart doesn't matter to them, right? Because they don't feel loved. They feel like they're a burden to me. They feel like they're in my way. And, and I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of getting caught up in my own head and, and wrapped up in the things I need to do or the things that I'm, that I'm worried about and not seeing the person in front of me and not being thoughtful to people. And somebody sends me a text and I think, ah, oh, I don't have time to answer that text right now. I'm busy. You know, and then I forget to answer the text, and they're on the other end going, man, this guy, he just doesn't give a rip about me, doesn't care. And so God is showing me in all these areas of my life, everything from texting to smiling to the bigger areas like laying down my whole day for someone else's needs. And I, I, so I'm learning about this, and, and then God shows me right here in this passage this incredible example of love that I think is going to really pierce your hearts as you see it and, and begin to stir you up to have the kind of love that, that Christ has for sinful people. So um, that's where we're headed, uh, and I want to pray and ask that God would move among us because I can't say anything to make any difference in your life. Only God can, can do anything good in, in your life today but I expect he wants to. So let's pray. Father, we, we came here today for different reasons. Some came here to, to check out a new church. Some came because a friend invited them. Some came because it's what, what they do on a Sunday. I came here because I'm supposed to preach a sermon. We all came here for these very different reasons, but there's this one thing that I think unites us is that we would all like to have an encounter with you this morning. And I think if we would all just stop for a second and pause and think, what would I like to see happen here? I think all of us, whether a skeptic or a believer, would love to have a real encounter with you, God. And so we, we ask you to come, Holy Spirit. We ask you to move among us, to work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, to bring about change. Show us what real love will require of us, what it looks like. Give us proper motivation to have it in our lives. Show us where we're falling short of it, God. I pray that you would do miracles among us today and that our lives would look different when we leave here and going forward this week because we've had an encounter with you. We invite you here, Holy Spirit. Come and move. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. So I've kind of, we've heard the passage, I've kind of given you a little bit of a preview about where we're headed with it. I want to, before we dig into it, I I want to just really quickly try and convince you that loving people is really important. So I'm not, most of you already believe that, but even those of us who already believe that, intellectually, we need to be reminded of that and stirred up to believe that this is really important. And so we're just going to look at a couple verses. You probably already know, maybe you've heard the verse where Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We're not going to look at that one today because sometimes the ones that we hear the most just sort of bounce off our hearts. So let's look at a different one today. Let's look at 1 John 3.14. We'll read this together. It says, We know... That we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love our brothers and sisters. Wow. The one who does not love remains in death. That's a pretty weighty verse, right? It's a pretty big thing to say. That this is how we know. You want to know if you're actually a, a true believer in Jesus Christ? Here's the answer. Do you love your brothers and sisters? That's a pretty weighty verse. And if you don't, then you haven't passed out of death. You still are in a state of death. You haven't passed into life by faith in Jesus. Let's look at another one, 1 Corinthians 13. And you've probably heard this one several times at weddings. Um, Let's look at it afresh. Let's consider what this says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, wow, so as to remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. Wow. If I give away all I have, sell my house, sell my possessions, go live on the streets in order to minister to people, or go overseas in order to take the gospel, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, in the end I'm a martyr, but I have not love, I gain nothing. It's a pretty big deal. It's very important that we love people. It's actually more important that you love than anything else. Let's look at one more. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. And by the way, 1 John, the book of 1 John is a pretty short book. If you want to go deeper into this idea, most of the book's about this. 1 John 4, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I think I could say from that verse that the degree to which you love people 
is the degree to which you have come to know God. You see that? And so, as God is showing me how, how much I'm falling short in this area of love, it's really revealing a lot of things about my relationship with Him, right? Because love comes from God, then it's as I get to know Him and as, as I grow in intimacy with Him, and it's as His love is poured into my heart that I'm able to love the people around me. So love is very important. It is, it is of utmost importance. And then, in this passage, what we saw, we'll look at it again, is that Jesus finds out about his own cousin's brutal murder. He finds out about this injustice, this gross injustice. He has just... He has said that John the Baptist is the most righteous man born of a woman. So outside of Jesus himself, there was no one on earth as righteous as John the Baptist. And he's murdered. He's murdered, senselessly murdered. He's Jesus's forerunner, his ministry partner, his cousin, his friend, and, and he's gone. And he's gone in such a gruesome way, and Jesus finds out, and his heart, though grieved, does not grow cold. There's a, there's a verse in Matthew 24, let's look at it together, verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> Jesus is talking about the last days. And he's talking about things are going to get worse and worse the closer it gets to his return. And he says this, because lawlessness will be increased. The breaking of God's law. Lawlessness is the breaking of God's law. It's sinfulness. Because lawlessness will be increased, The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What that says is that in the last days, as things get worse and worse and worse, and the brokenness and the the sinfulness of humanity is, is just on the rise, that many people who say that they're a Christian will prove that they weren't a Christian because they will not endure in what? In, in their love. The one who endures by not allowing their love to grow cold will be saved. Think about it. You, you, you see this on a, on a micro level. The harder your day, the more that people rub you the wrong way, the less sleep you got, the longer the work week drags on, the more that people snap at you, the harder it is to love, right? The more news you watch or read or the more stuff you see on your social media feed that's just the brokenness 
of this world that we live in, does that stuff make you just feel so much more loving? No, we know that this is true. That the sinfulness of humanity, including our own sin, around us, has a tendency to make our love drop. But not Jesus. And not those who will be saved in the end. They will endure. They will not let their love grow cold. And so, this is the real test. Do I love people? I mean, the one who loves, John has said, is the one who knows God. Do I love, do I love God? Do I love people? This is the test, the litmus test. And not, can I fake it on a good day? Can I fake it when things are going pretty well? But can I love people as lawlessness around me is on the rise? That's the question. The more that people offend me, or the more bad news that I hear, or the more that whatever happens that rubs me the wrong way, can I still love people with a burning hot love that's from God? That's the question for us that I want us to ask as we consider this this story. The sinfulness of those around Jesus did not smother the flame of his love for sinners. Let's look at the passage again. I just want to Make sure that we're seeing what I'm talking about here. So, when you read this passage, verse 1 and 2 is telling us that Herod found out about the fame of Jesus and he assumed that John the Baptist had been raised and that this was John the Baptist doing these miracles. Then, Matthew goes to this side story. Here's why. Here's why this, this, is the reason, this is the reason that he thinks that. And verses 3 through 12 are that story, explaining it. And then verse 13, maybe your Bible has a new subheading there, but, but look at verse 13. It says, now when Jesus heard this. So this is all connected. This is not a new story starting in verse 13. And so, it's as Jesus hears about his own cousin being murdered. Why? Why was he murdered? Because because Herod was filled with lust for his brother's wife, and so he was greedy and and covetous, so he just took her for himself because he could, and... We find out in Mark that Herod actually liked hearing John the Baptist teach. He, li- he, he was very interested and intrigued, and he liked hearing John the Baptist teach. And so apparently in these times when he's listening to John the Baptist, John the Baptist would tell him, this is wrong, you, can't, you shouldn't do this. And that really made Herodias, or I'm sorry, Herodias... Um, yeah, it made Herodias mad, and it's explicit in Mark, 
It made her mad. She hated John the Baptist and really tried to get him killed, and she did. She succeeded. Jesus hears about this. He hears about this um, sensual party where uh, Herodias' daughter, which is, which is Herod's niece and stepdaughter, dancing to please these men. I mean, you just you're, you're, you think about the, the, the filth involved in all of this, the sinfulness of all of this. And, and, and Jesus is hearing this. And keep in mind, Jesus is perfectly holy, perfectly sinless. And he hears the story of adultery and greed and lust and sensual parties and murder of his cousin, senseless murder of a righteous man. And how does he respond? Because I'll tell you what I would have done if I were him. I would have said, I'm done. This rescue mission isn't worth it. These people do not deserve saving. That's what I would have said. But I'm not Jesus. It's not how Jesus responds. The way that Jesus responds has pricked me this week. He heard this. And he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when, he, when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, I just want you to remember, this great crowd, they are not a righteous people. Jesus knows the hearts of all. And so when he sees this crowd, he sees what's real, what's really there. A crowd full of adulterous, greedy, covetous murderers. How's he going to respond? How is he going to respond to these sinners who don't care about what Jesus wants right now, what he's trying to do What they want is what they want. And here's what it says. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That word compassion, it means with pain, with suffering. It means he he saw them and he felt something inside his gut for them, something that moved him at a deep level that would cause him to want to give of himself in order to be a blessing to them, even though they didn't deserve it. Wow. If that's not a picture of love, I don't know what is. And if that's not a picture of what it looks like to not let your love grow cold, even though lawlessness is increasing... I don't know what is. 
So we are going to look at six things that we can glean from this story um, that show us what loving people like Jesus loved people will require of us. And, and as we look through these, I just want you to... Something that, that struck me as I was preparing this message is that if you're not convinced that loving people will lead to your greater joy, you just won't do it. I won't do it. We won't do it. We are motivated by the thing that we believe will lead to our greatest joy. And God has designed us that way so that we will go after him because he's the only one who can satisfy us. But I want to show you that loving people is actually not going to lead you to a life of lesser joy. Just so that when we go through these six things, you're already motivated saying, yep, I I want to do those things because this is going to be the life that leads me to greater joy. Look with me really quickly at John 15, 10 through 12. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, and he says, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Question, church. Does God want you to have full joy? Yes. Do you see that? Do you see Jesus' desire that the disciples have the joy that he had and fullness of joy, a joy that, that is not available in any other way? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you see how connected loving people is to your full joy? Can you see it? If you keep my commandments, you'll abide. You'll remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments. What's the commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. And, And why does he tell us this? Why? I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you see it? Are you convinced that you... You loving people the way that Jesus has loved us will lead to your joy. Okay, convinced of that, we're going to look at these six things, and I promise you we'll go through them quickly. Um, I'm paying attention to the time. But I see six things from this passage that we can learn about um, how to keep the flame of, of our love burning hot for sinners. Number one that I see, loving people will require not living to please them. Loving people will require not living to please them. And that, I, I get that from verses uh, 3 and 4 in this passage. Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. 
because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now, what's going on here? Is John doing the loving thing here? Yeah, he is. He is doing the loving thing. John is trying to love Herod by telling Herod the things that are separating Herod from his Creator. Do you see that? Love does not mean that I agree with everything that everyone believes. That's not loving people. Love does not mean that I ignore the things in a person's life that is separating them from the only one who can save them, from the only one who can satisfy them. That's not loving at all. And in our day, just as in theirs, people don't want to be told that their sin, that their sinful lifestyle or that their sexual sins are wrong. They don't want to be told that. But those sins, just like all other sins, are the ones that separate us from a holy God, from our Creator, from the only one who can satisfy our souls. And so we see that loving people doesn't mean living to please them. It doesn't mean that you never offend And and, and it doesn't mean that you offend for the sake of offense either. But it just means that that doesn't stop you from speaking the truth. I mean, the the passage that we hear read at weddings all the time, 1 Corinthians 13, that we looked at the first three verses earlier, says in verse 6, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And so even if somebody tries to pressure you into rejoicing with them in their sin, don't do it. That is not the loving thing to do. Do you see that? Love doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. So loving people means not living to please them, but helping them to see What's true? It means calling sin, sin. It means agreeing with the Bible and not pop culture. It means siding with God and not your friend or your coworker or your boss or your family member. And that's the first thing that we can take from this. Loving people will require not living to please them all the time. Second thing that I want us to see from this passage is that loving people will require time away from people. (laughs) Now this, this was really important for me to see because the thing that God has been doing in my life has been pushing me into more time with people. It's been, it's been pushing me into saying yes to more things that people ask of me because that's where I need to grow. But, but notice what Jesus does 
immediately in his response to hearing this news, he withdrew from there. He withdrew to go to a desolate place. And when you read the same story in Mark, you find out there's another reason that he withdrew. And that is that the disciples had been on, their, on a mission trip. They'd come back from doing a ton of ministry. And they couldn't ever get, a, get any time. It says people kept coming and going, coming and going. And so Jesus says, let's withdraw from here. And they get on a boat to get away, to give them rest. Now, Jesus is always motivated by love. He is always doing the loving thing. And what we see here is that sometimes the loving thing to do is to get away. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to withdraw, to be with the Father, to have some silence and some solitude. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to take a nap even though there's a storm going on in the people's lives all around you. I I think some moms might need to hear that. That sometimes taking a nap is the most loving thing you can do. Sometimes getting away for a retreat is the most loving thing that you can do. You cannot, it is not loving to live beyond your limits. If you try to live your life beyond the very limits that God has given you, and you need food, and you need sleep, and you need rest, and you need silence every now and then, you will not continue to be a loving person. And so just like being in an airplane, when they say, if the masks drop down, put your own oxygen mask on first so you can help other people out so you don't pass out while you're trying to help your kid. In the same way, we cannot love people unless we are filled with God because love comes from Him. And so you've got to prioritize abiding in Him, being with Him, being in His Word, listening to His voice, spending time with Him away from others so that when you are with others, you can love them fully. So loving people will require living within your limits. It will require being away from people from time to time. The third thing I want us to see is that loving people will require being patient with people. Oh, this is a tough one, right? It can be, given the certain situations. This can be really hard. But this is where I am blown away by Jesus' example. Because when I struggle to be patient with a person, I am a sinner, a, a sinful person in need of a lot of patience from other people. And I'm trying to show them the same patience that people need to show me. Right? But Jesus is not a sinner. He doesn't doesn't need anyone to show him patience. He, He doesn't sin. And yet he is so patient with those who do. And again, that wedding passage, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5, say that love is 
patient and kind. And later it says it is not irritable. And so if you are prone to being irritated with people or impatient with people or unkind with people, it's a love issue. And it is a serious issue. Look at what Jesus does. He, he sees this group of people and he doesn't feel frustrated that they are after him for what they want from him. He sees them and he has compassion. If that isn't an example of patience, I, I don't know what is. And I think, I think one reason that he was able to continually show patience with people and still does with us is because when he looked at people, when he saw the crowds, he didn't just see their sinfulness. He saw beyond that. He saw image bearers. He saw people made in the likeness of God. That's beauty. That's glory that people carry around. And beyond that, he saw not only sinners who chose their sin, true, but he also saw people who were bound up and enslaved to the domain of darkness and blinded to what's true. And that, that gives him compassion and it gives us compassion as well. And we see that. So being patient with people will mean seeing beyond their sinfulness. Number four, loving people will require seeing interruptions as opportunities. This has actually been maybe the thing that, as I've been trying to put this into practice, has affected my life the most. I started to notice that Jesus, if you kind of look through the Gospels at his ministry years, that it, it doesn't look like he planned out the ministry he was going to do that day and then just like stuck with the plan. What it looks like is that he's just responding to what I would call interruptions all the time. He's going from one place to another place, and somebody comes and says, hey, so-and-so needs to be healed. Will you please come? And he goes, yeah, I'll come. Or he's on his way to do a miracle, and, and someone touches his garment and gets healed, and he stops, and, and, he, and he ministers to her. Jesus clearly didn't see interruptions the way I see them. You know, the way that I see interruptions are they're the things I need to get through as quickly as possible so that I can get back to the thing that's important that I had determined that I needed to do. But that's not how Jesus sees it. I mean, remember what Jesus is trying to do in this passage. He's trying to get a retreat with the disciples, and they never even get to the retreat location. The crowds see him leaving, and they rush ahead, and they get to the place on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they meet him there, and they're interrupting his plans. His good plans, by the way. Important plans, by the way. But here's the thing. 
1 Corinthians 13, again, a passage. Verse 5 says, love does not insist on its own way. And when we see people as getting in the way of what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm insisting on my own way. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. I should have put this on a slide for us to read together, but listen to this. This is so good. C.S. Lewis says, The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. Can you see that in Jesus, the way that He reacts to interruptions? Now, if He was always submitted to the Father's will, was always about the Father's business as He was, then what that tells us is that the way he saw interruptions must have been that the Father is behind us. Do you see that? So here he is. He's got a good plan that he is trying to carry out. And this crowd of people interrupts his plan and he sees the Father at work. Now, if we could begin to see the interruptions of our day through that lens, imagine you're trying to get some work done and somebody calls you and you know it's going to be a longer conversation than you have time for, but you don't see this as an interruption. You see this as your very life and you see this as God sending you this opportunity. Or you're on your way to do something and someone stops you, someone stops you in the grocery store, or somebody asks you, hey, this Saturday I'm trying to move. Would you mind coming and helping me move some things? And you think, yes, Saturday is pretty important because I'm planning to do nothing. <laughs> right? But you say, Yeah, I'll help you come move. I love helping people move. Why? Because that's an opportunity for me to lay down my own life in order to be a blessing to someone else. What does it mean to lay down your life? Listen, we know, some of us know the verses that talk about this is love, that we lay down our life for our friends. And some of us, maybe we're like waiting for the day when somebody's going to come and be like, I'm going to kill this guy unless, unless you jump in front of the bullet. And we're, we're like waiting for this day when we're actually going to die for somebody. And that's how we'll lay down our life for our friends. That's not how it's going to happen for most of us, just so we, we, we understand. The way it's going to happen for most of us is that we say yes to helping them move. The way that it's going to happen for most of us is that we stop and make the phone call to the friend that we know needs some encouragement. The way it's going to happen for most of us is that we smile when we talk to people and make them feel like they're seen and that they're loved. And 
We ask them to get together later. We ask them to come over for dinner. We, we're laying down our lives in tiny little ways all the time, or else we're not going to be ready to lay down our lives to the death if that day comes. We're not. Unless we've been constantly laying our lives down. And then when that day comes, if it comes, it'll be natural because we've practiced. So Jesus doesn't see these people as an interruption. He sees this as an opportunity. All right, last two. I'm going to go quick. Number five, loving people will require giving away your energy. Now, I don't have to belabor this, but I wanted to point this out. That when Jesus, when it says he had compassion on them and healed their sick, that was not effortless for him. That was not effortless. What we read in Luke 8.46 is that when the woman touches his garment, this is what he says, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. So when Jesus healed a person, what happened was power left his body and went into theirs. Now imagine that the crowd that he is healing, we're going to find out later, is 5,000 men plus women, children, women and children. This is probably fifteen to 20,000 people before modern medicine. I wonder how many people he healed. It would have been a lot of work. It would have been a lot of work just to have a short conversation with 20,000 people. Much less for him to touch so many people and his power, his energy to leave his body and go into theirs. Imagine how exhausted he was. And I just want to point this out for us to see that Jesus was not immune to being exhausted. He was not immune to doing hard work. We know that. We see him get tired. We see him sit on a well and take a break. We see him take naps. He, he was human in those ways. And so when we love people, it will take stuff out of us, right? The conversations that we'll have to have will drain us. The, the work that we might do will drain us. The time that we will give will drain us. And we don't need to be afraid of that because, and this is my final point, just coming back to what I originally stated, that loving people is the blessed life. It is the life that is happiest. It is the life that is the most full of joy. The reason that we hesitate to give of ourselves is because we don't believe it will lead to more joy. So we try to save our lives and save our lives and save our lives and we end up losing them. Because the very thing that would give us more life is if we would pour it out. Love is expressed in giving what is most precious to us for many of us, that's our time. For some of us, it might be our money. For some of us, it might be our energy. But for, for most of us, our time, that is your life. How do you lay down your life? You lay down your time. At the end of your life, your life is just going to be a bunch of days with hours and minutes. 
And so you lay down your life by laying down your time. Listen to these verses in Proverbs. We'll read them together. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. I think this is, this was such an encouragement to me. I've always read verse 24 in, in terms of money, which I'm sure it certainly would apply. But if what's true, if, if what I just said is true, that you give what's most precious to you, for God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son, his only begotten son, what was most precious to him, love, love moved him to give what was most precious to him, then, then this certainly applies to loving people. Listen to this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Or to put it in Jesus' own words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When I see these verses, what I think is most of the time, I withhold what I should give of my time and my energy, and I only suffer want. The happiest people I know are the most loving people I know. Because when we water, we, we imagine your life is a bucket of water, and that water represents all that you are and all that you have. And we live trying to conserve it, trying to keep enough in that bucket to get to the end with a little something left. Maybe that's the end of our day or the end of our week, or maybe it's the end of your life. And you're just trying to get to the end with a little something. And people come and they ask of you and you splash a little out because you know you should. You know that you're supposed to love people and you do feel that you love people. And so you splash a little out and you splash a little out and you splash a little out. And the bucket just keeps draining down and down and down. And you wonder why you're so burned out. But here's what it says. The one who waters will himself be watered. In other words, you cannot outgive God of yourself. If you, motivated by love, pour yourself out, the faster you pour out, the more water is being poured in. Do you see that to Love other people is the way to the blessed life. It is the way to the, the full life. The way, you want a full bucket? Pour yourself out in love. But don't do it apart from love. Let me just leave this caveat. Do not do it apart from love. Do not do it out of duty. Because what, what did we read earlier? If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I can pour out the bucket of my water to try and help people, but doing it for the wrong motives, not out of love, and there's no water getting poured back in. I gain nothing, and I wonder, how am I so burned out? How am I so burned out? Because God loves a cheerful giver. 
And I've been giving away out of duty, out of duty, out of duty, trying to be right with God, trying to build up my righteousness with God, not out of love, and so I gain nothing. We've got to wrap it up. How do we respond to this example? Number one, we cannot produce love within ourselves. The Bible tells us the way that we are transformed into, more and more into the likeness of Christ is by looking at Him, by beholding Him. And so this, all this time that we've been looking at how Jesus showed love, that wasn't wasted time for you. That is how you will begin to see this love growing in your life. You look at Christ. You behold Him. And what did He do for us? He laid down His life at the cross willingly in order that we who were sinners who are the sexual sinners, the adulterers, the covetous, the greedy, the immoral, just like in this story, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have life forever with Him, real life, knowing God. And so the first thing we do in response to this is we put our faith in Jesus who died for us. We believe in him. We cling to him. We see him as amazing, as worthy, as glorious, as worth my whole life. We cling to him. We trust him. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus. And when we do that, what happens is that his death on the cross gets credited to us. We get his righteousness and he takes our sin. And we get a relationship with God forever. Second thing we do is we begin by trusting in Him to try and live the way that He lived. By faith in Him, by looking to Him, with every decision, try this. Ask yourself this question as a filter. What's the most loving thing to do here? With every decision that you make, ask yourself, what's the most loving thing to do here? And that's not as straightforward as you might think because sometimes the answer will be, give this day to this person. And sometimes the answer will be, I need a nap. And that would be the most loving thing for me to do. Doesn't mean living beyond your God-given limits, but it does mean pouring yourself out for others as God leads you to do so. Every yes you say to one person is a no to other people. And so it's not as It takes discernment. It takes prayer. God, what would be the most loving thing? For me to say yes to some people means I'm saying no to my family sometimes. So it's not always yes, 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 yes. It takes discernment. What's the most loving thing for me to do right now? Use that as a filter. And I believe we will see transformation in our lives. And imagine what a church who starts loving like this could accomplish. Imagine how magnetic the pull to a people that love like this. The world might just look at us and know that we're his disciples because of the love we have for one another. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Thank you for the example of Christ. 
but more than an example, thank you that we are connected to him, that you have given us your spirit, God, that we are partakers of the divine nature, that we don't have to go and muster this up on our own, but that all of life is Christ, Christ in us and through us. And so, God, help us. Help us to begin to love the way that Jesus loved. Help us to trust Him to do that work in us and through us. Help us to be motivated by love and not to burn ourselves out by trying to love people out of duty or out of self-righteousness or out of wrong motives. God, teach us this. Do this work in us, we ask, so that Jesus could be magnified, so that our joy could be full. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.